Mini episode 1091 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge, mini-episode number 1091. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris coming at you today. This is, I believe, the first time we've done this on this show, doing a Championship Sunday recap. We're going to be looking back with one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, good friend Steve Callis, uh, regularly on uh, such places as WFAN in New York, SNY in New York, a host of other uh, fine outlets, and uh, always good to talk with him about all things on the show, sports, law, anything else. We, most of the time it's been sports when he's been on with us, and uh, so too Will that be the case today? Uh, Championship Sunday, I, I always say going into it on the show, one of my favorite days of the year, that, that Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, that's a day you know for, for, for the casuals, I think, for a lot of the people who don't know if the football's pumped up or stuffed. But, uh, you know, for, for, for the diehards, Steve, like, it, you, I'm sure you would agree with me. It, it's, it's a day more so for us. It's a special day, the casuals. Maybe they're getting into it more and more, and the ratings were up this year, and, and maybe Championship Sunday is evolving to where more of the casuals are paying attention. But I still feel like it's a day more so for us, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. The Super Bowl has become too much spectacle. The fact that, and I remember Belichick saying it before the Super Bowl when they beat the Falcons, uh, he said, halftime is much longer, the game is much longer. When you finish three quarters of the Super Bowl, that is like a full NFL game regularly. And I think uh, that plays a part in some of these Super Bowls, including the Atlanta one. But yeah, because it's such a spectacle, a lot of people turn on just to watch the commercials, which is beyond the scope of my brain. A lot of people turn on just to watch halftime, which again, I love music, I love sports, but the notion that you would lengthen a game by 15 minutes or whatever it is, and it's around 15 minutes, is ridiculous. So I think it not only attracts the non-diehard fan, as this past Sunday would attract the diehard fan, but I also think, frankly, that on occasion it affects the game. I really believe that, and I just don't think that's right. That's an excellent point. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're definitely right. And You know, one, one of the classic examples of uh, people who probably only watch football once a year uh, and again, this is potentially uncomfortable for me to say into a mic as I'm about to go to my Super Bowl party I always go to the week after this. <laughs> but, you know, the neighbor of my good friend who always hosts the party, uh, you know, this, this guy's wife was there, and it was the year the Super Bowl was in Miami, and they had a little bit of rain. Like, well, why wouldn't they play it always in a dome or a place without rain? I'm like, you, you do know it's the first time in 40 years there's been rain, right? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> So, you know. Well, I'll even say this about that. Uh-huh. Um, it seems to me an advantage, not necessarily for dome teams, just dome teams or just warm weather teams, but because of the Super Bowl. Now, they, they played it up at MetLife in New Jersey that one year, uh, but either the weekend before or the weekend after, they had 10 inches of snow, and I think that's going to scare them off from ever doing it again. But the reality is, if you're a diehard football fan, and we are, it doesn't matter if it's five degrees. It doesn't matter if there's 10 inches of snow. It doesn't matter if it's the ice bowl. That's part of the game. Now, the NFL has taken that part of the game out of the game. Now, whether you agree with that or not is maybe even another show, but it helps the warm weather team. It helps the dome team. But I think when these dome teams have to go out, Indianapolis a couple weeks ago, I thought they could keep the game close. I didn't think they could win, but they played like they were a dome team playing in the cold, in the snow. Um, even the Chiefs, to some degree, and I understand what Kansas City is, but you're playing the Patriots 
who have going back to the tuck game in the snowstorm against the Raiders. Uh, that franchise plays in New England, and they have lots of experience in their weather. And I thought that helped them in the first half. I thought it took a while for the Chiefs to get going, not just because the Patriots played good defense, but because it was 8 degrees with the wind chill. I think those things make a difference, but... I don't think you'll ever see that in the Super Bowl. They did it the one year in New Jersey. I think because of that snowstorm either the week before, you know, there were articles in the New York papers. Oh, imagine if they played the Super Bowl today, 10 inches of snow. I don't think the NFL wants that. Even though they had it in Minnesota in the dome, it was in the dome. So it was terrible for everybody outside who was going to the weekly Super Bowl things. But I think that actually has been advantageous if you can get there for – like a dome team, for example. Well, and uh, the weather this year definitely had a deleterious effect on Championship Sunday. I'm not speaking of what it was like to sit in the stands in Kansas City. I'm speaking selfishly, okay? I always have a Championship Sunday party over my place. It's something I always look forward to. Everybody was like, sorry, Ricky, I'm snowed in. So no Championship Sunday party this year because of what was blowing through the Midwest at the time which right. uh, I know that hit New York uh, not too many hours later, so you know exactly yep. what I'm talking about. But, uh, yep. you know, so, you know, bereft of the chance to uh, watch it with my buddies, I still was uh, engrossed by what was happening nonetheless. Uh, we'll start in the NFC game because chronologically that's how it went. And uh, much like the AFC game later on, not much to write home about in the first half relative to the second half. It was a thing where the Saints really kind of established – control early on Todd Gurley uh with that inexplicable uh you know he whether or not he was at a hundred percent that would have had nothing to do with the ball sailing right through his hands and uh, causing the interception there so Gurley was right that it just wasn't one of his better days it took the Rams kind of a while to get going it might have taken Sean McVay a little bit of time to kind of get the thoughts on how best to do this because when they started attacking vertically and it was the long pass I think it was to Brandon Cooks that pretty much I think was kind of the turning point because from there on in the Rams offense was untracked and and the Saints really uh, didn't have as much going afterwards. It's an odd thing because you look at the Saints, it was the second half of the NFC Divisional round when they came alive after a, a, a comatose first half, and then a second half against the Rams where I wouldn't say necessarily comatose, but the Saints played like an amazing game in the two playoffs, and on the other side of it, uh, you know, the first half of the one game, the second half of the other game, not such a great game collectively, and uh, they're sitting home right now, not just because of a bad call, but also because they didn't play a full game the second Sunday, and it bit them. Well, I will say, though, even in the first half, you have to give the Rams defense credit because yes. to keep uh, New Orleans out of the end zone, to keep them to six points. True. Uh, I thought it was even at 13 nothing. You know, we've seen uh, a few uh, 13, 14 nothing uh, leads disappear. I can think of at least three uh, where those leads disappear. The Patriots, of course, came back to win. And New Orleans, I will say this about that one play because, of course, everyone's analyzing it to death. But I thought, you know, when you look at the Seattle Patriots uh, Super Bowl, when Pete Carroll inexplicably decided to throw the ball, that, that play, if you make that play, you win the Super Bowl. If they intercept, they win the Super Bowl. It was specifically that play. I think of the Patriots against Atlanta two years again, uh, later, uh, or a year later. Who? Um, I guess it was two years later. Julio Jones makes one of the greatest catches ever to put them in field goal range for the Falcons to win the Super Bowl. In my opinion, and we were at that game, my son and I, because he's a Patriots fan, they could have taken three knees, yep. in my opinion, and won the Super Bowl. Matt Bryan, a very good kicker. But they ran it on first down, which I thought was smart. But then they decided inexplicably to throw it on second down. And then Matt Ryan took the dumbest sack in uh, NFL history to put them out of field goal range. And eventually, everybody knows they made the amazing comeback and won the game in overtime. But even in this play, I thought when the Rams got there, I thought it was just like the Julio Jones play. Now, and inside the NFL this week, I didn't know this was happening. Breeze comes over to the sideline before first down, and you'll recall they threw it on first down. Everybody, including the announcers, thought they would run it to make the Rams kill their timeouts. But on the sideline, Breeze runs over and says to Peyton, we got to be very smart here. And that says to me, you're going to run the ball three times. But that's not what Peyton says. Peyton says, yeah, but I don't want to just 
keep the ball for 55 seconds and then kick a field goal, we're going for a touchdown. And Breeze then said, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, I don't know if that's what Breeze meant when he said, we got to be careful here. So they throw the ball on first down, which is a huge mistake because if you run it on first down, Rick, and you get five or six or seven yards, yeah. you don't have to throw it at all. Right. You run three times, you get a first down or a touchdown, the game is over. That's right. So... I thought it was a gigantic mistake, and once you make that mistake and you run it on second down for no gain, I guess you have to throw it on third down. But even on that play, I'll say this. That ball was not thrown 10 yards. <laughs> was, it, was it a penalty? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's like old news. It was absolutely a penalty. It should have been called, and yes, the game would have been over. But that was an eight-yard completion if he just played the, the catch. The ball bounced. On the four-yard line, it bounced when it hit the ground on the four-yard line, which was two yards before the first down marker. So I think there were a lot of mistakes made there. I won't say as bad as Pete Carroll. I won't even say as bad as the Atlanta Falcons, but I'll say it again. If you ran it three times, A, you might get a first down or a touchdown, game over. But you're going to let them get the ball back with like, it was going to be like 50, 55 seconds. And they'd have to go, you know, the uh, not the length of the field, but they'd have to get a field goal, which maybe they would have. But it was very interesting to me because I think this year, New Orleans, late in the year, I think they had a very good defense. And I think in the old days, you would have just run it into the line three times, and if you got a first down, fantastic. Uh, if you got a touchdown, fantastic. Uh, but if you kick the field goal and give it back to them with no timeouts and 50, 55 seconds left, that's pretty fantastic, too. And they took away all those things. And I think the call, or lack of a call, has overshadowed all of that. I've heard, I've heard a couple people say they should have run it three times. But most importantly, I thought they should have run it on first down. If you get five or six or seven, you're running it three times. And you're getting the first down or the touchdown to end the game. So I just thought, once again, in my opinion, we got to be aggressive. That sometimes turns into stupidity. Pete Carroll, we got to be aggressive. The Falcons coaching staff, we got to be aggressive. Sean Payton, we got to be aggressive. That's two Super Bowls and an AFC Championship game that I think were lost because we got to be aggressive when you don't necessarily have to be. Excellent point there. And uh, I, I thought also, and others have noticed this as well, that it was a stupid penalty because, again, you got to be the luckiest man on God's green earth not to get flagged for something as blatant as that. Having your back to the quarterback is, is grounds, if there's any kind of contact, that is grounds in and of itself for the flag to be thrown. He could have broken up the, the play. Hey, you know, this, this whole thing of that, oh, well, the guy would have had a reception. No, I think it could have been cleanly broken up. Uh, he wasn't that far out of position. He was never even looking at the ball in the first place. He assumed he was beat the defender, and he wasn't. He could have broken it up. Now, something I wonder about when you talk about running the ball there, I looked at uh, the stat sheet on both games here because going in, one of the whenever I do the previews, I always run through the passing and rushing stats offensively and defensively for both teams. So I was looking to see if anything jumped out at me in either game that was something of an anomaly. It's amazing how predictable statistically both games were. The only thing that really jumped out at me, the Rams, who did a very good job the week before against the Dallas rushing attack, and people talked about, uh, you know, Sue actually stepping up, you know, when he had had a year that was not as great, and then, you know, Donald, Donald is a top five player in the world no matter what. So between those two, yeah. if you're getting a motivated and Dominica Sue, you're going to have a very good front four. But here's, the, here's what I found interesting. The only thing that jumped out at me as being surprising is you look at the rushing numbers – for uh, New Orleans, and I think uh, Ingram was like 9 of 31. I think Kamara was like 6 of 15. Now, we don't realize that because especially Kamara did a lot of damage through the air, and New Orleans is one of the teams that uses the short pass like the run. So we don't think of them as necessarily having a bad day for their running backs because, you know, collectively it wasn't. But if you're just stripping out the rushing, I was going to ask you, if the job that the Rams did might give them any hope going in against uh, New England, because obviously they're going to have to deal with a very similar situation with their backs, but also, since you raised the question, I wonder if it might have sat in Sean Payton's mind at all, because Sean Payton would have had an awareness of what was working and what wasn't that day. So the notion that they would have been conceding just going for the field goal, yeah, you burn a lot of time off the clock, but 
I wonder if Peyton would have thought, ah, there's no way we're going to get a first down and three downs. Well, he might very well have thought that. It, it sounded, again, if you listen to the Inside the NFL you know, audio, it sounded like we're going to be aggressive, we're going to be aggressive. Now, he would never say to Brees, we can't run it on these guys, we're going to have to throw it. You know, he might have been thinking that. Sure. <laughs> and I, I do have to say, because after Dallas ran for whatever they ran for against Seattle, it was some absurd number, right, over 200 yards or something like that, to see the Rams kind of shut down Dallas uh, running game, I think that gives them hope in the Super Bowl. Uh, and they gave up a total of 98 rushing yards between the Dallas game and the Saints game. Right. I mean, that's unbelievable. And I think uh, the Rams were not very good against the run during the season, but in the playoffs, they've been very good for whatever reason. And Sue is a big part of that reason. I agree with you. Um, but having said that, I just don't see when you have two timeouts left. They didn't have three. They had two. That makes a difference. You could have run them off after first down and after second down. And if it was third and seven then because they couldn't run and you want to take a shot, I guess that's okay. But to me, I would have run it again on third down. Why? You know why. You're going to let another 35, 40 seconds run off the clock. And at that point, unless you don't trust your defense at all, um, it seems to me under a minute, you would have been in good position uh, with the lead to win the game. I understand in the world of Tom Brady now and Pat Mahomes, and yes, even uh, Drew Brees is in that category. They can get down the field in 40 seconds, even with no timeouts. I understand that. But to me, this is what happened. So instead of kicking them the ball where they'd have the ball with like 50 or 55 seconds and no timeouts, they had like a minute and 41 and the timeout. That's an eternity. So you gave them that eternity. And I'll say it again because I agree. I think was it Aikman who was doing the game? He said, I'm surprised that they ran it on, that they threw it on first down. And I agree, but you might be right. Maybe they were conceding they couldn't get. And on second down, they got nothing. They ran the ball on second down. They got nothing. Right. Um, similarly, though, to me, in the uh, Atlanta Patriots Super Bowl, they ran the ball on first down for a one-yard loss. And after the game, that's what the coach said. He said, well, you know, we ran it on first down. We got a one-yard loss. But I don't know if you have so little trust in your defense. And again, that would have been Tom Brady coming the other way. Uh, just like, you know, this would have been, uh, uh, you know, a good offense coming the other way. So I understand that. I just think the aggressiveness versus the intelligence, I think sometimes aggressiveness aggressiveness wins out when it shouldn't. And I really do think those three examples are three examples of when aggressiveness led to defeat. I can't tell you the other way it would have led to victory because we don't know what would have happened. But I can say to you that there's a good chance that all three of those teams, I think Seattle would have definitely won the game, obviously, if they handed it off to Marshawn Lynch. That was beyond stupid. But I think Atlanta could have won the game and would have had the lead, just as I think the Rams could have won the game and would have had the lead which, uh, with a lot less time. I'm sorry, New Orleans would have had the lead with a lot less time left. And I thought, at least in the old days, Rick, that was the goal, to get the lead with as little time left and as few timeouts for the other team. And in all three of those instances, it didn't work out. Exactly, yeah. And as far as it goes with Atlanta, this doesn't get mentioned nearly often enough, uh, but people in Cleveland will remember this because we don't have very fond memories of Kyle Shanahan anyways. Kyle Shanahan deserves to get thrown (laughs) under the bus for that. Because uh, he's the one that had the stupid play call where Matt Ryan got sacked. So uh, shame on him. In the Seattle game, uh, again, I, I have kind of felt like with, with Lynch, you know, you're going to have basically from the other team 22 sets of arms swarming for the ball. But I would have at least thrown a fade pattern, you know. And, and, and again, if, if it's a fumble on the goal line, then at least you went down by the percentages. So I do agree with you on that. Either a fade pattern... If I could just say, just on that one play, because I was actually, I was not trying to defend Pete Carroll in any way, but yeah. I did say, if you're not going to run because of what you said, and, and look, that's legitimate, um, if you're not going to run because of that, you should have at least gone play action to Lynch, and my position is, if they had faked the run to Lynch, there'd be two guys waving their hands in the end zone wide open. Maybe, maybe, you know what? The two tight ends. Great, great point. Well, not and not only the tight ends. That's the game that uh, again, the one game we can say, looking back on it, that uh, I believe it was Chris Wallace, real tall wide receiver. He had a heck of a game. 
So, you know, a fade pattern to that guy or one of the tight yeah. ends in the corner of the end zone. So, I mean, that I, I've always thought that, uh, yeah, what, throwing it into the middle of the line was the stupidest thing you could have done. And that is, of course, what they did, much to my grief at the time as a Patriots hater. Uh, but, you know, I, again, they're, that, that play uh, with, with the Rams and the Saints does go down in the pantheon of the plays of this decade that we'll be talking about. Uh, you know, for a long, long time to come. I'm just going to, last question for you on this game before we move to the nightcap is, I'm going to react to something you said to me off air, and that your early thought after watching that game was that whoever uh, lost that, or whoever won that game, you would not like their odds against the winner of the AFC championship game. The only counterpoint I'll make to that, and again, I'm a little biased as somebody who's been on Sean McVay and Jared Goff from day one, and I never wavered on Jared Goff his rookie year when Jeff Fisher was ruining him, but uh, you look at what's happened through through the playoffs here, uh, I think it's commonly accepted that Sean McVay coached rings around uh, the, the Cowboys and Jason Garrett. Uh, and that, again, at a, at a minimum, I'm not going to say coached rings around Sean Payton, but he won that matchup coaching-wise. After a slow first half offensively, he really kind of woke up. And as you pointed out, Wade Phillips had a pretty good game start to finish uh, because, again, at least they were holding them to field goals rather than touchdowns predominantly in the first half. So Wade Phillips, with the defense he had, seemed to do about as good of a job as he could have done. I, I, I wonder if that is something you've reconsidered in the days since the game there, that when you're looking at the, what the Rams have mustered since then, you look at the egg that they laid last year against Atlanta, which I still don't understand, that first-round game last year. But coming into the playoffs, I, I think it's by no means certain that the Rams would have put away a hot Cowboys team and then gone into the, the Superdome and managed to do what they did. Yes, with the help of the refs, but still. So... I, I wonder if that is something you've reconsidered or if that's something that you're still on as far as feeling that they would be uh, an underdog to whatever degree to the AFC team. Well, I think Wade Phillips is maybe the key to the game. You know that Wade Phillips was the coach of that defense that beat the Patriots a few years ago. Yes. And he's been around forever. I even heard Belichick talking about him. You know, they don't really, you know, their scheme is not drastically different. He's been doing the same thing for 30 years, but he's got the players to do it, and they're going to be tough to beat. So I agree that Wade Phillips and his defense is a factor. But I'll also say this. The Rams have not been the same since the Cooper Cup got hurt. True. They call him. Apparently they call him third down cup out there in uh, Los Angeles. And he's a key factor to what they do. And I also recall uh, C.J. Anderson running around the end, I'm sure it was him running around the end, when he was on Denver against the Patriots for a big touchdown in a big game also. So I still think because, in my opinion, if you were looking at New Orleans, their offense had, had, had lowered dramatically. And I think we saw it again in this game. Uh, you know, they beat Carolina 12-9, for example. Right. If you look at the Rams and the Saints, the first seven, eight, nine, ten weeks of the season, I think they were both like 9-1 and one by then when the Saints beat the Rams in New Orleans. Um, I think you could say, wow. And, and even back then, everybody was saying, wow, you know, the, the, the Patriots can't play with these Kansas City and these other teams. And I think, as usual at that time, that was true. But there's also rumors coming out of Boston that, um, that Brady was hurt. That he had like a sprained MCL or something, which I never heard about all year. And that now, the last four or five games, he's been 100% healthy. He certainly looks better. He's making some incredible throws. But I still feel the same way, although, yes, you're right. I think Wade Phillips is a key to this game. Belichick knows what they're going to do, but if you have the players, and to me that's the difference when we talk about the Chiefs, I don't know why they fired Bob Sutton. They don't have the players on defense. Anybody who thinks they do, is they think they're going to bring in another defensive coordinator and make that defense a lot better, I think they're dreaming. But for a team like the old Broncos of a few years ago with Wade Phillips, and yes, this Rams team with, uh, with Donald and, and Sue and Fowler, um, they're very good. You know, another key I thought in the game was, you know, Akeem Tlaib didn't play in the first game. That's right. So they can talk about Marcus Peters all they want, but when you put Tlaib on the field, Marcus Peters becomes not the best cornerback on the field, and Tlaib is. So I think there are possibilities, but I still felt if the Chiefs had won, I would say I like the Chiefs. If the Patriots won, I would say I like the Patriots. And, yes, I've reconsidered it a little 
but I still think it's true because I have not been impressed. And tell me if I'm wrong in your mind. I have not been impressed with the Rams late in the season. Yes, impressive in the playoffs, especially with rushing defense. And I was not impressed, frankly, with the Saints late in the season. And frankly, I thought the Eagles were going to beat them when they started marching down the field and that ball went through Jeffrey's hands. I was totally convinced the Eagles were going to go down the field and win that game the week before. So New Orleans has not been an offensive juggernaut that they were earlier. And the Rams have not been an offensive juggernaut as they were earlier. And I think that shores up well for the Patriots. Well, and it's so funny because it's it's pretty much the reverse of a year ago because there are a lot of people who felt uh, going in. Uh, I felt a year ago the Saints were going to come out of the NFC. I thought they would beat the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. And then the Minnesota Miracle happened. It's funny this year right. that the Eagles, you look at it, and we could be on pace for a Super Bowl rematch because you, you would have to like the Eagles' odds going into L.A. Uh, if they were going to be playing them there. If, with, with, with all the confidence that they would have behind them as far as another late-season miracle run. But... Yeah, instead it ends up being the Rams and the Saints. Uh, that one play this this year, uh, it ends up being the ball that went through Jeffrey's hands. A year ago it was the Minnesota Miracle. One worked for New Orleans, one worked against them. And then, of course, the climactic play that worked against them in the championship game was the non-call on the pass interference. Uh, Todd Gurley, with not much of a uh, game here to, uh, to speak of, we'll have to see if that plays a role in the Super Bowl. He said he was just kind of out of it. Uh, I, I think when you look at the brain fart of the ball going through his hands for the interception, that might kind of back that up a little bit. But uh, C.J. Anderson uh, showing how much gas he's got left in the tank. So either way, I would think the Rams would be feeling good about their rushing attack going into uh, the Super Bowl. But when you look at the AFC Championship game, I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, the key for the Rams is going to be uh, a lot of times recently the Rams will run to set up the pass. It might be passing to set up the run when you're playing the Patriots because it felt like that's what was happening when Kansas City got it going because their rushing attack, for obvious reasons, hasn't been the same since Kareem Hunt got booted off the team for slapping a woman around. And, uh, you know, they've done the best they can with Damian Williams in there. But uh, the key was really to get that uh, air raid type offense going here, the air raid slash West Coast hybrid, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that first series in the second half, much like when the Rams turned it around late first half, that's where the Chiefs really made it a ball game, coming down the field that first series in the second half. And then we had the game more or less that we expected to have, an epic game. I will note with a lot of bitterness, uh, you don't expect Jim Nance to admit this, but as he said on air in the fourth quarter, wow, every controversial call has been for the Patriots. I'm like, I'm like, well, thank you for noticing this 20 years in, Jim Nance, but uh, better late than never, I suppose. That's, that's me being a bitterman, I guess. But, uh, you know, it took a while, much like with the NFC Championship game, but eventually in the second half, Steve, we got the game we expected and then some. Absolutely, and I will say this, though. Uh, Tom Jackson on ESPN said, uh, oh, I don't know how they could overturn that um, when Edelman told everyone to get away from the punt and tried to field it and totally whiffed on it. Um, I must have looked at that replay 20 times. You could look at it all three angles they had, and he didn't touch the ball. It's weird. I didn't hear anyone ask him, and tell me if you did, Rick. I didn't hear anyone ask him, why were you trying to field the ball? Yeah. Because he waved everybody off and then tried to catch it because he didn't want to lose those five extra yards. But on review, and I think it was reversible, Tom Jackson said, oh, I couldn't really tell. I could tell that none of those shots, anything touched them. Did it come incredibly close, close literally an inch? Absolutely. But it never touched him. So, and the other thing, of course, on that play is two plays later, it did touch. <laughs> it was kind of a justice story, if you will. It hit Edelman's fingers, yeah. and then they picked it off. So I don't think that play was nearly as play. And don't forget, everyone does. You know, you, a muff punt, they couldn't run it into the end zone. They would have got the ball right there. Right. But nevertheless, they got the interception, and they eventually scored. So I thought that was, to me... Much ado about nothing. Did it look like it hit him? Absolutely. I thought it hit him when they ran the play. But when they showed you the slow motion, his elbow, his thumbs, his fingers, missed by an inch every time. Oh. I saw nothing that even made me think that maybe it hit him. So I don't know how you could be upset. And I'll say it again. They picked off two plays later. They got an interception. So the, the thing I would focus on, which was a terrible call, 
but Gene Steratore was in the booth, and he said, well, it probably looked like it from when they called that um, on the big guys, Chris Ford, when he didn't he, hit Brady, but he got called for hitting Brady in the head. Yeah, D and Ford. And he absolutely did not. Right. Was it D Ford? Is yeah, that it was? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so he did not. But even on that play, and I'm not defending the Patriots. You know my wayward son is a Patriots fan, but I'm not. Um, but even on that play, it looked to me they never showed the replay because it didn't matter. It looked to me like Edelman got interfered with when they just showed when the ball got to Edelman. Clearly he was hit early, and the only question to me was, was the pass uncatchable? And it might have been uncatchable. But you could have also looked at that play the same way. And the further thing I'll say and again, I'm not here to defend the Patriots. I think it's amazing what they've accomplished. But, but on the uh, 38-yard pass to Sammy Watkins that went to the two-yard line that gave them the lead very late, um, uh, Chris Conley, number 17 on the Chiefs, totally wiped out the DB that was guarding him three yards down the field. Literally knocked him on his butt. So there's no way that wasn't an illegal pick play. You can't say he was running a pattern. You can't say he blocked him within one yard of the line of scrimmage. If you watch the replay on that one, and that's why Watkins is running along by himself. He was by himself running down the field. 38-yard gain to the two, and then they punched it in to take the lead very late. So, again, I'm not here to defend the Patriots, but there were some plays in that game. That's the one, you know, I don't know if people, I think they mentioned it on the telecast. Belichick had the surface, Microsoft, whatever that is. Yeah. He tried to show it to the ref two times, and I'm sure that's what he was showing him, that the guy was wiped out three or four yards downfield, and then he threw the thing in disgust a couple of times. And the refs don't want to look at that after the fact anyway. It is what it is. But given what had happened in the previous game, which all the refs must have known about by the time this game started, it was interesting to me. Uh, now, again, on the roughing the passer, Starator said that's the angle that he had. I'm sure if you're behind Brady and you saw the hand come down, it probably looked like he hit him in the head or hit him in the face. So what are you going to say? He should have a better angle. He should have a different angle. I mean, there's a lot going on with the officiating that we can still talk about. Or really, to me, in terms of how can you correct these kinds of things, because it really did. It is true that they had called the pass interference in the first game. New Orleans would have won that game. It's also true that Andy Reid did not think they should have called D. Ford for being in the neutral zone. That would have ended the game if they did not call that, but that's two different plays to me. One was a clear penalty that wasn't called. I don't think you can say to a ref in an AFC championship or in any championship game, well, yeah, it's a championship game. I'm not going to call that. He was offside from the game. He, he not only was in the neutral zone, Rick, he was so offside. I thought he was at the Patriots' side of the ball because when, he showed the replay, when they had the blue line up, yeah. his hand was past the blue line. And also on Inside the NFL, they showed him, and he went up to the guy in his bench and said, they, they, they said I was in the neutral zone, was I? And he was actually looking on one of those surface things that Belichick broke. He was looking at it, you can tell the way he was looking at it. Absolutely, he was outside. So this, my point is, this was not a close call. This was not a borderline two-inch call. He was not only in the neutral zone, he was over, I thought, to the Patriots' side of the ball. Well, and, and again, I, I've already admitted that I'm biased, so what I'm about to say here isn't going to change anybody's impression, but you know, on, on every angle from Edelman, and again, I loathe that PED cheat Edelman just uh, as much, more than I loathe most Patriots, uh, quite frankly, aside from Brady and Belichick, so to me, on every angle, it hit him, but I'm not the most unbiased person in the world, obviously. I'm going to ask you on the pick play, too, and this is going to sound biased as well, but uh, it is what it is, you know... Do you not feel like there was a little bit of uh, flopping, a.k.a. Peter Forsberg slash Tony Parker, uh, on the DB going down there? Did you think that was completely legitimate when the guy flailed to the turf? You, you know, you might be right, but he got he got blocked out three or four yards. Again, you can knock him on his ass up to one yard from the line of scrimmage. Right. This was not that. This was three or four yards down the street. So if he makes contact and he's not running his pattern, and usually the guys who get away with it run right up to the guy, don't tuck them, and turn around and put their hands. This is becoming an art form, by the way. Right? They turn around facing the quarterback with their hands out, and that's their running a pattern, even though they're running a pick. See, to me, the beauty of the pick play is you don't have to hit him to make the pick. If he runs into you, that's his problem. But that, but I thought uh, Conley ran into that DB, and do I think he sold it like a soccer player? Maybe, because he got knocked on his ass. Yeah. So you might be right. 
but I still think there's little doubt in my <laughs> mind. And again, I'm not I'm not a Patriots defender, but there's little doubt in my mind that that was a penalty. But hey, that never got called either. <laughs> right, right, and you know after. The uh, the turnover, the ball that went through Edelman's hands, uh, again, just to show you that uh, on Twitter in the heat of the moment, there's not a lot of uh, originality. Uh, there was about a million different ball don't lie tweets going on out there and me, you know, people quickly coming up with the memes uh, of that and everything after uh, they turned it over through Edelman's hands anyways. And as you said, poetic justice, many felt, including uh, this uh, admittedly biased observer. But, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was it was a very exciting game with my pronounced rooting interest for uh, and it, you know quite frankly it would have been any team not named uh, New England although I was as, as somebody who was an old uh, Derek Thomas fan back in the day I was rocking my Derek Thomas throwback so uh, you know and uh, look I mean uh, I, I can uh, I can certainly if if I can't identify with a long suffering football city who the hell can as a, a denizen of America's North Coast so you know I felt good for the Chiefs fans. Uh, that this was happening for them, and uh, again, it was just really uh, like a, the, the second half that as, as much as the NFC game was a thriller when it got to the second half, more so the case even here, uh, the, game, the day ended on an even bigger dramatic swing in this game, and much like you, you'd referenced this before with New England and Atlanta, the first Super Bowl ever to go to overtime involving New England, the first pair of championship Sunday games to go to overtime involving New England. Actually, the first two playoff games on any day, divisional round, wild card, championship Sunday, the first time we ever got back-to-back overtime ended up being this year. And uh, it ended up being a thing with the early game. Nothing really to complain about for New New Orleans. Of course, they're going to complain about the call that set it all up in their mind, but they did actually turn the ball over cleanly. Uh, in the late game, it was a matter where, again, Kansas City never gets the ball in the first place, much like was the case in the Super Bowl, where New England just went right down the field on Atlanta. And in both cases, you kind of felt like the other team already kind of felt defeated and it was just going to be Swiss cheese. And that's what happened. New England went right down the field. And to be honest with you, I'd forgotten about the rules. I don't know how I had, but then I was I was thinking, okay, let's see what Mahomes has got left. And then they were like, game over. I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> so, you know. Well, I think I think unless you're going to tell me it's player safety, uh-huh. and you know, player safety supposedly trumps everything else. But as as Lewis Riddick said on the play in the New Orleans game, it was also, and apparently the league office admitted this. Uh, it was it was helmet to helmet contact as well. It wasn't just pass interference. It was also helmet-to-helmet contact, but I will say this, it seems to me, uh, and look, I, I was at that Atlanta game with my son, and uh, we were sitting next to two diehard Atlanta fans who were just mouthing off tremendously when it was, you know, 28-3 in the third quarter, um, but they left their seats when uh, the Patriots won the coin toss. There was no doubt in the stadium that if the Patriots won the coin toss, the game was over, and I thought there was little doubt yesterday uh uh, on Sunday, rather, that there was, uh, frankly, I thought whoever won the coin toss was going to go down the field, right. <laughs> because by that point, the Chiefs were clicking on all cylinders uh, offensively, uh, but I didn't think the Chiefs had any chance to stop the Patriots, because the Chiefs do not have a good defense. You're talking about Derek Thomas, rather than firing Bob Sutton, uh, and, and remember, they got an interception on the goal line in, in that one stupid play that Tom Brady makes every once in a while. They stopped him on fourth and inches, you'll recall, in the fourth quarter. Um, so, And they also, after they got run over, I thought it was a big mistake for Andy Reid to defer. Andy Reid should have watched the week before when Belichick won the toss against the Chargers and took the ball. Why? Because he wanted to go down the field and run it right down their throats, which is exactly what they did. So that's what the Patriots did the first time. I give the, I give the Kansas City defense and Bob Sutton credit because they held them until that long throw, just, what, a minute left in the half to make it 14 nothing. I thought they actually had, had done a good job. But you need more Derek Thomas-like guys, or even if you could have just Derek Thomas, as great as he was, that would make their defense much better. I don't think Steve Spagnola, who was a genius when the Giants won the Super Bowl, and then a couple of years later was fired because they had the worst defense in football. I'm sorry. It still comes down to players. 
And the Giants had them when they won that Super Bowl, and they didn't have them when they were last in the league in defense. And here, too, the Chiefs are not going to get better by getting Steve Spagnuolo or any new defensive coordinator. They're going to get better by getting better players. That's what they need. Absolutely. And, and this is a defense for a long time through many regimes where they've always been a little bit uh, top-heavy. I mean, you, you go back earlier uh, in the decade, you know, and, and even beyond, you know, like when Derek Johnson and a couple of other ones were there, they'd always have holes in a few spots. And that's the thing, you know, you know stars and scrubs, basically, to, to oversimplify. That's kind of been what their defense has been. They need a little bit more equilibrium. Not less star power, but certainly less scrubs in there. you got to, you know, improve it on that end. But in, in looking at it here, yeah, just the, the way that it went, uh, it, it's it's so funny too the Super Bowl that you were at with New England and Atlanta because I, it took me a while but eventually I did hear one of the stories of like wait what happened to this game and that was my 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 young niece who lives in Atlanta uh, who would have been eight at the time fell asleep during the game I think she fell asleep when it was twenty eight three and woke oh, up <laughs> wait what happened and I know it makes me a bad I'm uncle I'm having a nightmare. <laughs> I know it makes me a bad uncle for laughing uproariously when I heard that story, but, uh, you know, it is just a little bit much to contemplate. But, yeah, there there were echoes of that in the way that New England went down the field in overtime and uh, put it away, and then uh, subsequently, again, uh, making it to their third consecutive Super Bowl. And, uh, again, it was... Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't think we've seen the last of these two teams matching up in January. I think there's a very good chance, potentially again next year or uh, the year after, depending on how many years that uh, New England has left in this incarnation. But uh, what they showed out of this, it, it's interesting that uh, certainly the public agreed with you, if not the sharps necessarily, because the initial line on the Super Bowl. Uh, it came out, uh, it went from being Rams minus one to very quickly flipping the other way to one point, two points, whatever. It's, it's, so far, it's gotten as high as a field goal, but the Sharps have bet it down almost immediately when that happened. So I think the casinos, the sports books, they were uh, wary of the Sharps uh, in terms of setting the line as they did there. It seems inexplicable because they left themselves wide open for the smart money, or I'm sorry, the dumb money, rather, the public. The public immediately bet the Patriots way up. They were going off of the power rankings and the things that the Sharps look at, and that's why they set the line where they did. That tells me that the, the power rankings might have even had the Rams minus two or minus three, and maybe that's what they felt equilibrium was between the Sharps and the public. If that's what they thought, they were wrong because the public forced it way up and uh, again in looking at it here and coming out of this day I feel exactly as I felt a year ago which is I loathe New England I don't want them to win the Super Bowl I think they're going to I was wrong a year ago and what makes me what gives me hope is apparently the wise guys would say that I'm wrong also too and the wise guys hit way more often than than does the public so uh, much like a year ago I have hope that I'll be wrong as I was a year ago Well, I'll say some of the things about the rules, because I think that should be a focus now as well. The first one on the Patriots winning a Super Bowl and an AFC championship by calling heads, getting the ball, game over. I think they should make that a 10-minute overtime period. Now, you could have the you could have the thing that could happen nowadays, the way, especially a team like the Patriots runs the ball, you could literally have a 9- or 10-minute drive and kick a field goal. But generally speaking, these drives are five minutes, four minutes, six minutes. They're not usually ten minutes. So I think at least by having, I don't know if you can guarantee each team gets the ball, but I think if you had a ten-minute, I guess you can't do 15-minute, they would say player safety. But as you go into overtime, and in theory, in the NFL and the playoffs, you could have two overtimes or three overtimes or four overtimes, in theory. But I, I think they should at least have... I agree now. It's starting to seem like you shouldn't have one team get the ball, score a touchdown, and the game's over. That seems unfair to the Falcons, unfair to the Chiefs. It would have been interesting if the Chiefs won the coin toss and gone down the field and scored a touchdown, which they very well could have, uh, with then people in New England saying, yeah, this is baloney, we should have got the ball. I don't know because they know they just won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with <laughs> the same thing happening. But I think yeah, but Boston fans are not noted for their intellectual consistency, so they just said that anyways. 
Oh, goodness. I hope my son does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I'm going to send it to him. Um, but I think a 10-minute overtime period would satisfy a lot of those problems. And if you get the ball with two minutes left, go down and score a touchdown with two minutes left. Um, the only time that would be a problem if someone could engineer a nine-minute and 45-second drive, which could happen, and kick a field goal, but I think that would be rare. The other thing I wanted to say is because everybody's talking about, so what can we do? An obvious play like uh, the New Orleans pass interference that wasn't called, and it was obvious. You don't see anything much more blatant than that. But um, what can happen? So some people are saying, oh, let's let's challenge um, – Let's challenge pass interference. Give, give the coaches a challenge on pass interference. I think that would be a mistake. What happens if in the same game, um, and I'll go back to, I'm trying to think, I think it was the Atlanta Super Bowl when um, Howie Long's kid came rushing around the end, had a clear shot at Matt Ryan, and was just taken down. And they did call that as a hold, and it was a hold. But suppose they didn't call that as a hold. My point being, it could be a number of things. P.I. is the obvious one. But it could be a lot of different things. How about a chop block when another guy is blocking a guy and they just miss it? Um, so here's, here's what I'd like to see happen. I think either, and the other problem is if you give one, suppose you gave them one challenge on a penalty, because you don't want it to be, you know, two, three, five, seven challenges on penalties. Suppose you gave them one, and early in the fourth quarter in a key situation, there's a blatant miss, and you win, but that's your last one. And then with a minute left in the game, you have the New Orleans Saints play. I would like to say that they should have um, the, the guys in New York or whoever's looking at the game, like they should have been able to come in on that New Orleans play. And, and maybe you'll disagree with this, but at least in that situation, if it's blatant and obvious, not some kind of subtle, is the ball an inch off the ground, did the ball hit uh, Edelman's thumb, not something like that, but something blatant, like we saw in the New Orleans game, that maybe even if it's more than one, that the, the guys in New York who are watching every play of a playoff game, there's only one game going on at the time, you know, in, in, in the playoffs, let them watch it, and if there was something as blatant as the New Orleans play, just buzz into the official and say, we got an obvious pass interference that you guys missed. Um, I don't know what you think of that. I haven't heard anyone really actually say that, but I think that would be better than giving, for example, each coach one challenge on a pass interference or on any penalty call, like hitting Brady in the head when he didn't. You know, I don't think just on one call, but I think if it's blatantly obvious... Then I think, I wouldn't even call the element play blatantly obvious, by the way, but I would call the uh, roughing the passer that Brady got away with, and obviously I would call the New Orleans Saints uh, pass interference that wasn't called. Those were blatant to me. I think maybe New York could just reverse them, just like they review every play in the last two minutes. You know, I, I think that, that's doable, and I don't think it would cause a lot of delay. It would be one or two plays a game is my guess. I would agree with that. I think that's a good way to go. And uh, as we bring this around here at the end, uh, I'll leave you with this. Uh, you mentioned Chris Long there. I remember pranking my friends uh, when he was in the NFL draft that year. I was like, hey, did you know that's Terry Hatcher's kid? And they were like, what? I said, yeah, you've seen, you've seen the Radio Shack commercials, haven't you? <laughs> That's fantastic. I will say this, though. Chris Long has been a big, he was big for the Patriots. He was very big for the Eagles last year. He played well this year. I picked before the season, you know, I picked the Super Bowl rematch. And I got to tell you, when the Eagles were marching down, I was totally convinced they had already beaten the Rams in Los Angeles with Nick Foles. I was totally convinced they were going to the Super Bowl. Um, Miraculous that they got there. But obviously they didn't win the game. But I think Chris Long has been a key factor in both of those Eagles teams and even on the Patriots team uh, when they won because he played well. He did draw that very big holding call um, in the fourth quarter in the Atlanta game. So uh, I like him a lot. I hope they're talking. He might be retiring, but boy, I'd love to see him play another year. I know there's a lot of other things that go into it now, including your health and your family, and he's already got uh, two rings, you know, back-to-back rings. Him and uh, LeGarrette Blunt got back-to-back rings last year. Uh, But I do think there are ways to deal with this. I just don't think if you keep it to one thing, you know, like 
in, in football, in baseball even, you've used your challenges and then you see something far worse, far more egregious. Right. It could be the difference between winning and losing and there's nothing you can do. There's something kind of wrong with that. And I think at that point in the game or on an egregious, blatant missed call, I think the guys in New York should be able to buzz the ref in the playoffs. I don't know if you can do it during the, you know, when there's 10 games going on or six games going on, but you could definitely do it in the playoffs. Um, and I think that's something that should be considered. Certainly Peyton's going to try and do something. They said he's on the rules committee. But oftentimes they, they look at these things and they screw it up anyway. Well, For example, yeah. if they come back to me with one, okay, each guy can challenge one penalty call or non-call per game. You will have the game next year where there are two egregious calls and there's nothing the guy can do about the second one. And the second one will be with a minute left in the game and we'll decide the winner or loser. And then people will say, oh, we tried to fix it last year, but it still got screwed up. So I think they should keep it open-ended because it will not be more than one or two plays. But let the guys in New York call blatant calls. And again, that call in the New Orleans game, not that I feel bad for the Saints, but that call was a blatant call. I don't feel bad for them because I thought they should have run the ball three times. That's just me. Or maybe thrown it on third down, but probably not if they didn't have the first down or close to the first down because then they would have stopped the clock. So I would have thought it would have been stupid to throw it on third. But whatever, and I'll say it again, if that pass was completed, I don't think it would have been a first down. So they would have kicked the field goal anyway. They would have. They absolutely would have. Excellent points, as always, Counselor. Uh, Great recapping Championship Sunday with you. As I say, we preview it every year on this show. We generally then move ahead to the Super Bowl. But uh, with everything that happened, uh, I think it was better this year to kind of break it up, take a look back before we take a look forward. Uh, a, a great way. This is, I think, the only true way, uh, this, this being at mini-episode 1091, if we're going to follow up our epic fifth conversation with Liz Clayman, this is the only way we could have uh, followed that uh, there, Steve. So, uh, pleasure uh-huh. to have you back on, as always, my man. Always a pleasure to be with you, Rick. It was great. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge, mini-episode number 1091. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all Clear Channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN. ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 